Good evening, LCM. Tonight is Thursday, March 30th, 2023. Church, we're excited to be with y'all tonight. You guys excited to be together? Come on. We know we're all still meditating on last Sunday's message, Groom Conscious. The effects of looking at our groom and his ability to lead us, fight for us, perfect us, keep us, and not throw us away, but carry us. Did you come away with a greater understanding and awareness of who he is, church? Was your heart spurred on by his love to keep you and not throw you away? Come on. We want to continue in the same train of thought about who he is and begin to clinch with the reality of what we do next. Now, this is a family meeting. And church, you know, we're family. We want to walk you through the revelation that we experienced pertaining to an intimacy with the Lord that can only be accomplished by seeking him through the word and prayer. So being that this is a family meeting, tonight we've resolved ourselves not to come with you with fancy homiletics. We did not try to weave together scriptures based on certain wordings or phrases that we liked. We didn't make a title and then try to make the message fit to the title, which we do that a lot, Adam. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to share with you uh, some of our favorite gems in the scripture. We're going to share with you guys our personal experiences with these scriptures. We're actually sharing with you things that came from JJ, things that came from Justin Linton, things that we've gotten from our brothers and from our own time with the Lord, and we've experienced it, digested it, and we want to share it with you tonight. The title of our message tonight is Pressing On. Pressing On. We want to start with Hosea 4.6, because last week's message was about having the willingness to obey the Lord because we have a knowledge of him, we're experiencing him as a groom, we're seeing how amazing of a groom that he is, and therefore it produces a willingness in us to do whatever he requires of us. With that understood, it was fitting, and it struck us in a way that our response to that was, we need to know the Lord. We need to experience our groom. We want to start in Hosea 4.6 with you. Verse 6 says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. It goes on to say to the priests and the people, Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. It's amazing to me to see God give the explanation of why his people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Now, I'm going to walk you through how this impacted me. I looked at the Hebrew word for destroyed. The Hebrew word for destroyed is dama. And it equally means cease, halted, or cut off. It's in a certain stem which makes it causative. What that means is that my people have caused themselves to be ceased. My people have caused themselves to halt or cause themselves to be cut off. What caused them to cease in their walk, in their progress as a people? 
It was their lack of knowledge. Their lack of knowledge of the Lord and his requirements and who he is and what he is like. It's their lack of participating in that knowledge that caused them to cease in their progress as a people. And that's precisely what happens in my life and in your life. The lack of knowledge of God causes us to cease in our progress in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we're not talking about a knowledge that could be gained just by looking at books or reading more or studying more. We know very well that Jesus spoke in parables precisely for the reason that those who can see would not perceive. Those that can physically see things and physically understand things won't because the condition of their hearts are not postured to be able to receive what God wants them to receive. We know that this knowledge is not just an understanding in the mind. It's a knowledge that can only come from experiencing God. It's a knowledge that can only come from interacting with the Holy One, and therefore you're forming a knowledge by experience of who He is, and it's becoming real to you because you experienced it and God showed it to you. That, that, that means that you have to have a hunger and a desire to want to experience God to get this kind of knowledge. What this means for me and how I started looking at this in my life I have to look at areas that I have ceased in my progress because of my lack of experience and knowledge resulting from my experience in my intimacy with the Lord. What has this really caused me to cease in? It causes me to cease in my progression. And it shows up when I just don't know what to do. I'm in a situation and I have absolutely no idea at all what to do. And that's not really shocking any of us because we're always right there. We're always in that position. But isn't it amazing when you think that you have access to the king of kings and the king of the universe? You have his attention and we still don't know what to do. It shows up when I don't have this experience with God, when I don't have this knowledge flowing through me and I'm building on it, it shows up in absolutely no desire for him. I just don't desire the Lord. It shows up in me being consumed with competing desires. I am not interacting with the Lord and therefore everything else in my life is trying to compete with my attention. I can't stop thinking about the cool thing I'm going to do with the weekend. Or I just can't stop thinking about the new thing that I'm going to buy. I just can't stop thinking about all of these other things because I'm not having a, uh, an experience with the Lord daily. It also shows up in me being attracted to my desires of the flesh. When I'm not experiencing the Lord, that desire is waning and another desire is growing in me. And, and the desires of the flesh get stronger and stronger and stronger. And before I know it, I'm, being, I'm ceasing. I am causing myself to halt. It also causes fears to rise inside of me. When my distance from the Lord grows, all of a sudden I'm afraid about everything. Because I'm not attached to the one who has the knowledge, who, who is in control. Also, insecurity descends inside of my soul and it begins to settle in me when I am not walking out in a daily experience and in intimacy with God. Now, Hosea 4 6 
God proclaims, for this reason my people have ceased. Thankfully, Hosea 6.3 gives us the answer. As you turn in there, say pressing on. Hosea 6.3 then begins, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Church, Hosea is striking at a key point that will benefit us for the rest of our lives. Acknowledging him. We press on to acknowledge our own condition? No. Our own difficulties? No. No. We press on to acknowledge him in all things. Raising the expectations. Looking to him. When we wake up in the morning until we put our head down at night, we are pressing into him. This attitude makes us do everything after we have acknowledged him and we are unwilling to do anything without him. What is it? Think about what it means to acknowledge the Lord and press on to acknowledge the Lord. That means in every situation in your life, you are pressing on to acknowledge who he is, where he is, and what he is doing. When you press on to acknowledge the Lord, it causes you to wake up and go, the first thing I do this morning is I want to acknowledge, Lord, I want to acknowledge you in my life. I want to acknowledge who you are. This is the gates of praise. To press on to acknowledge God is to press in to praise him for who he is and actually reach out to him in that moment. That is the cure for this lack of knowledge, is to wake up first thing in the morning and acknowledge God. God, you are with me. God, you are here right now. You are the mighty one. You are the faithful one. Lord, I want, I want your presence right now. Lord, fill this car as I'm driving to work. Lord, fill this room as I'm preparing to have this meeting. That is acknowledging him in every area. And no man does that, well, I like the way Moses does this in Exodus 33 verse 12. In Exodus 33, verse 12, you're going to see how Moses presses on to acknowledge God in his situation. Verse 12 says, Moses says to the Lord, you got to just just picture this as a conversation between Moses and God. Anybody in the room have conversations with God? Okay, so you know what's going on here. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. Anybody ever repeat to God what he's been telling you? But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. You see him kind of trying to get leverage here? Verse 13, if you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Notice what Moses doesn't say. If you're pleased with me, make me comfortable. Take away all the difficulties. Make everything easy. Lord, just remove this situation from my life. you got to admire the beauty of what he says. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways. Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you, 
so that I may know you, Lord, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, because he was pleased with Moses, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Listen to what Moses says here in verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. The reason this strikes me so much is, if I'm honest with you tonight, if Elder Charlie was to come up to me and say, hey, I've heard from the Lord, I think you're to go to Idaho and plant a church. I believe God told me you're to be ordained and go to Idaho. I would be so excited. I'd be like, yes, yes, that's definitely it. Because it starts to feed into something that I really want. To be elevated, to have a higher position, to feel purpose in my life. Notice what Moses says to God, though. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. The heart of Moses to speak to God and say, Lord, if your presence does not go, I will not go. Now, I know when, when I hear that, I think, Lord, if I can't have worship music on the way, then I'm not going. That's not what Moses is getting at. What Moses is saying Lord, if I can't interact with you the whole time there, Lord, if I can't have relationship with you when I'm on the way and when I get there, Lord, if I can't experience you, if I can't have the intimate time with you, if you're not going to go with me and I'm going to be all alone and I will not be able to reach out to you in prayer, I'm not going. I will stay right here if it means I stay here, as long as I can continue to reach out to you and get into your presence. As long as I can continue to be intimate with you, I will stay in this spot because this is all that matters to me, that I can continue to be in your presence, that I can feel you, that I can hear you speaking, that I can feel the approval of you, and that I can literally be in your presence. I would rather die right here and stay here the rest of my life than go. Man. That attitude has escaped us so many times, hasn't it? Yes. Yes. Pastors, I just want to go. Come on, can I go? With, can I go? Come on, can I go on this mission trip? What if God's presence will be with you here, and if you go, you'll be outside of God's will? But that's not the point. What God wants in this room and what we feel inspired by is this heart that says, Lord, I want to be intimate with you and know you more than anything else. Lord, I want your word, and I want... I want a better prayer life so that I can be intimate with you more than anything else. If we look at verse 17, it continues on. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Church, I want you to understand this point right here. The Lord was pleased with Moses because of Moses' desire to be with the Lord and nothing else. Didn't want to go anywhere without him. Wanted the interaction there constantly. That drove, that drove Moses. He didn't want to go anywhere, even the promised land, without him. That's where they were called to go. I'm not going to go. The anticipation of being there, going there. And he didn't want to go if the Lord wasn't going to go with him. This, uh, this hit me, the interaction of going places. We fellowship everywhere. We go everywhere. You know, the Elder Baj's house, the townhouse. You know, Fuerte, some of you guys come over to my house, go over to Treaster's house, Adulam. 
There's all kinds of opportunities to go out to great places, awesome places where we're in fellowship. We have time with the Lord, time with our brothers. For me, the interaction with this was, how often do I go? And I'm almost, I'm waiting until I get there to have the interaction. How about on the way that I'm setting to the interaction, I start to begin to actually pray and ask God to continue in the interaction. The in-between time, the time I'm with my family and we're traveling because we have God with us. That's our desire. Our desire is to set out and go with him, not by ourselves. And when we get to grab onto that, we get this whole new interaction of our everyday lives that we are not missing. Let's go to Jeremiah 18. As we think about this interaction that we can have all the time and the way that the Lord has his hands on us. So Jeremiah 18.3. So I went down to the potter's house and found him working at his wheel. Now and then there would be something wrong with the pot he was molding from the clay with his hands. So he would rework the clay into another kind of pot as he saw fit. Church, we are not throwaways. We got that from Sunday's message, right? Right? Amen. Here we see the Lord's hand, not tossing away the clay, but reworking it. There's still function in that. There's nothing left out of it. We're not throwaways. If we interact with this, it's been a minute since I've uh, spun some clay on a you know, wheel. It's been a little while. Been a minute, a hot minute, if I'm Nick uh, Rosales. And that's right. But the, the, the putting of the clay onto the wheel and where it sits, the beginning process of that is actually having the entire hands cupped over the clay. So imagine yourselves, you're the clay, right? So what we're getting from this, we're, we're all adults, we understand this. His hands are on us and forming us. Now, as the clay, as the, the wheel begins to keep spinning, right, there's more shape that's being taken to it, as there's more pressure being put onto it, as there's different distinctions being ingrained into it with the thumb and the pointer, the pinky, the palm of the hand. There's so much that goes into this that we begin to grasp this intimacy that we can have with the Lord as we desire to want to be that clay in his hand. And the pressing that's there, every difficulty, every bad situation that we think in our minds are bad, and yet the joy that comes out of that conflict as we are in his hands, he's helping us through that. Whatever abrasion there may be to take some clay away, he's doing it. Whatever smooth surface there needs to be, he's implementing the object for it. We have a good God who wants to care for us, who wants to engage with us, our engagement is putting ourselves into the hands. There's, there's no better feeling as a son when your father come, comes and put his hands on you. Oh, yeah. Come on. When your father comes and puts his hand on your shoulder, there is no better feeling in the world. You see, there's something beautiful in this, and Adam's, Adam's getting right onto it. When you love your father, when you love his presence and you love his working in your life, you want the touch of his hands on you. When you feel the Lord molding you in your time in the word, when you feel the Lord molding you in your prayer time, 
boy, that is the best feeling in the world. When you feel that, when you don't, when you distance yourself from that, and then the Lord begins to mold you, it almost feels like he's trying to hurt you. And you begin to go, ow, that hurts. I don't want to do that again. And the, the father's like, what? I'm just putting my hands on you like a father and a son, like a potter with his clay. The more and more that you engage into, with intimacy with the Lord, and you begin to reach out to him and press on, you love that feeling. Corrections are, are not big disparaging moments. You're actually like, yes, pray. It makes me so happy that the Lord's hands are on me and he's molding me because he is making me like him. And he's reaching out and taking the time to put his hands on me. That's so joyful. You could see the psalmist in Psalm 139 speaking about this experience. We're going to read Psalm 139 verse 1 through 12. And I got to be honest with you, this is one of the most incredible psalms in the Bible to me. Because when I'm reading it, I'm, I'm reading a man's interaction with God, okay? Psalm 39, verse 1, says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. How does he know that? How, could, how does the psalmist stand there and say, Lord, you have searched me, and you do know me? He knows that because of the precious time of pressing on into the Father's presence and the interactions that he's had with God. He knows that God knows him. And he knows that God has searched him because he was wrestling, he was working through that with the Lord. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. When I read this, I always think it's just nice poetry. And the more I read it, I don't think it is. The more I interact with the Lord, I don't think that this is just nice poetry. I think this man has pressed on into the presence of God so much that he knows that God knows his thoughts. He knows because he's had this conversation with the Lord. The Lord has spoken to him about these things. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Can you imagine the psalmist talking with the Lord? Lord, this is what I did today. <laughs> Lord, this is, what I, this is what I think about this. Lord, this is what, what's going on. This is, this is how I'm reacting to this. Lord, can you help me? What do you think about that, Lord? It's a real conversation. That is what prayer is. And he is saying that God is familiar with all of his ways because he's had that time in interaction. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in, behind and before me. You have laid your hand on me. God, what a beautiful moment that is. When you are in the word of God and you know that his hand is on you. When you are in prayer and it's just you and the Lord and you know his hand is on you. Look what he says about all of this in verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I don't know if this is just boring to you guys or not, but <laughs> has anybody ever had those moments with the Lord where you end it all with, Lord, this, this knowledge is too wonderful for me? Have any of you been driving to work and it's just you and God? And all of a sudden, you don't know why, 
but you're expressing in tongues praise and joy over the time that you just spent with the Father? That is what this man is doing in this psalm. He's, he's talking about his interactions with the Lord and saying, and ra- such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Church, this is all about your passion and your desire to have this with the Lord. We're talking last night. You gotta, I got to realize, I have never had a week five experience for all you married couples, you know what I mean? And at the end of that go, man, that, that was terrible. I didn't enjoy that. I have never had a moment in God's presence where I'm like, dang, man, that just was not satisfying. I've not ever had a time where I was actually pursuing the Lord in the word where I was like, dang, I just didn't enjoy that. I'd rather been doing something else. And although I know that's true, why does sometimes it feels like that's the last thing I want to do? I think a lot about Abby and Luke, Spence and Randy. They'll do everything. They'll lose sleep. They will do everything they can just to interact with one another. <laughs> Spencer's laughing. He knows how much sleep he's losing. They will do everything they can just to interact with each other because there's this longing and there's this desire to be to 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 get to know each other, just to spend time together. But all of you married people, what happens about six months in? Becomes normal. And all of a sudden you feel yourself to be oversaturated with it. And you think to yourself that this is, you know, this has become normal life and my heart no longer desires it. That speaks to the own hardness of our heart and what happens when we become familiar with something. That is why we have to get into God's presence and ask him to change us and give us a new heart. This experience in verse 6 is what we have available to us. The interactions where God, where you leave and go, that was wonderful. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, but I will never stop trying because it is so much fun and I can't get enough of it. Gosh. In light of that, then, we go into verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's acknowledging him. He's acknowledging that his presence is everywhere. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The intimacy of that. He's there with him everywhere. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. That acknowledgement of the presence being everywhere. And we have the opportunity to engage with that presence at all times. We're not short of it. We're never I know we have those feelings where oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm too far away or I'm too far gone. I'm, I'm separated. I'm, I'm here. I'm there. Not based upon the word. His presence is everywhere with us. You guys hear the prophecy? One part that, that stood out to me. He's not distant. He is not distant from us. He's reminding us, church, 
There is nothing that will separate us from him. There is nothing, no mist, no darkness. His light overcomes it all, and we are with him. That desire growing inside of us, our love that's ever-increasing, it's a fire that's burning. His presence is everywhere, and I've realized that something happens in my life that the Lord will kind of back off from me and see if I'm going to pursue him. It's like he wants me to notice that he's, he's put a little distance there, and he wants me to pursue him like a groom and a wife. The Lord wants that pursuit and that pressing on in us. And sometimes the best treasures take a little bit longer to mine. It takes a little bit work, a little bit more work to get to it. Verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's awesome. But verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Man, how precious to you are the thoughts of God. How precious to you. Are they like treasures to you? I have to admit that a lot of times they're not. I'm filled with my own thoughts. I love my own thoughts. What I think about it. But this interaction with God is causing the psalmist to say, how precious are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. It's amazing that this man had this encounter with the Lord and wrote this on paper. For me, it causes me to want to press into him more, want to press on, want to dig into the word like, like I know I should just so I can catch a shred of who he is. Just one interaction with his presence. It causes this desire in me to rise. Lord, I want to be in your presence praying to you, not because I feel a great need to repeat a list of things that I need, because I want to grab hold of you and I want to experience those thoughts that you have. Man, some of the best things in my life that I've offered to other people are the thoughts that I have gained in the presence of God. The things he has shared with me in the secret place that came only from him, and I give, I, I sometimes find myself, hey man, you should try this or you try this. These are things that the Lord gave me in secret places, and they blessed my life. And they caused me to want more of them. Let's go to Psalm 66, 18 and 20. It's going to be in the net. The swish. The swish. If I had harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, man, that's so good. However, God heard. He listened to my prayer. God deserves praise for he did not reject my prayer or abandon his love for me. He hears. Better yet, then he listens. It's one thing to hear something. It's a completely different thing to listen. 
Church, when's the last time you sought your prayer closet? When's the last time you separated yourself and just got with God so you could speak to him? Word says he hears us. Word says he listens to us. Take some action on our part to actually get into that position to experience that, right? It's a good thing that we have available to us. Our God's not abandoned us. He's with us, and he wants that interaction. All hard work leads to profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Let's not be talkers. Let's be hard workers. We want to work at this. We want to because we desire and we have a willingness to grow in our love for the Lord. That comes through intimacy. That comes through prayer. That comes through our interaction with the word. Hard work. Profit. Profit is more than just getting back a return on your investment. Profit is more. I'm not saying that it's because we're trying to get a reward. But if we think about the reward we're getting, it's the intimacy with the Lord. In my mind, that's a great reward. That's one that we want and we desire. Psalm 104, verse 31 through 34, really blessed us last night. Psalm 104, verse 31 says, May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. As I rejoice in the Lord. May my meditation be pleasing to him. What kind of introspection does a man have to have to pray, may my meditation be pleasing to the Lord? When we dug into this, you know, when we hear meditation, we think of like a monk in a temple somewhere just trying to quiet everything around him to try to absolve himself from every other noise and uh, interaction and get into a state of just static nothingness. Hum. The Hebrew word here kind of gives you insight to what meditation is. The word is shiach, and it means like musing, mumbling, speech, kind of a talking that goes on. It really points to the inner conversation that's inside of all of us. You know, like that when you walk into the building, you're like, man, those are some nice lights. There's a light bulb out, but I like the way they're hung. Puts a nice glow in here. I'm really excited. It helps me worship better. That kind of conversation that goes on inside of you. That's the meditation, according to the Bible. Let me ask you this. What kind of conversations go on inside of you? I know what kind of conversations go on inside of me. But the psalmist cries, Lord, lay, may my meditation be pleasing to you. This is the psalmist crying out, Lord, I want to have an inner conversation with you all day long. I want to have an inner conversation about your glory. In fact, I, I will sing to the Lord all of my life. I will make a melody in my heart towards you. 
I will sing praise to my God. Let that inner conversation inside of me be pleasing to you, Lord. Let it be about you. Let it be with you. Let it be for you. Let it be through you. Let this inner conversation, this praying in the Spirit, be pleasing in your sight. Man, that's a hunger for the presence of God right there. That's a hunger for intimacy with God. We want to show you what the writer of Psalm 119 says that he meditates on. And this will give you insight. Yeah, so as we look at this slide, there are six things in Psalm 119 that Ezra's helping us to gain an understanding of meditation on. So in verse 15, meditate on, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Verse 23, though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. I love that. In the, in the midst of opposition, uh, I, imagine, I'm, I imagine my workplace. When there's all these other things going on and all these different rumblings and different uh, accusings or abusings. And uh, all, all that we're doing is we're meditating on his, his good decrees, his word. 27 says, cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds, your actions, your goodness. 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate in it all day long. 99, I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statues. And in 148, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. As we look at this, all of these, all of these things, the precepts, decrees, wonderful deeds, statues, promises, where do you think you find those? Not, not rhetorical, I was hoping for a response, yes. The word. Which means we should have that intimacy with the word. If it's good enough for Ezra, and we know man of God that Ezra was. Safe to say it's good enough for us. Yeah. One thing that we're growing in and we're going to have an understanding of. We're going to move on quickly, but understand it's easy to have a conversation with somebody else in this room about the word. It's easy to have a conversation with somebody else about the statue of, statutes of God. But how do you have an inner conversation going on all of the time about the precepts, the decrees, the deeds of God, the law, his statutes, and his promises. How do you have that? It doesn't come from a heart that's afraid to let him down. It doesn't come from a heart that just wants to be right so you don't get in trouble. It comes from a heart that desires intimacy with him, and therefore you crave the word of God so much that you are literally dreaming it, you're eating it, you're having an inner conversation inside of you about the promises of God and the word of God. You're having an inner conversation praying to the Lord because you're trying to reach intimacy, not because you're trying to, get, trying to get out of trouble. So let's turn to Nehemiah 9. <laughs> you know what it is. We'll go to Nehemiah 9. We'll start in 17. We're going to see a coupling of what the uh, intimacy with the word and intimacy with prayer brings. It says, they refused to obey and did not recall your miracles that you had performed among them. Instead, they rebelled and appointed a leader to return to their bondage in Egypt. 
but you are a God of forgiveness, merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and unfailing in your loyal love. You did not abandon them, even when they made a cast image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt, or when they committed atrocious blasphemies. Due to your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. The pillar of cloud did not stop guiding them in the path by day, nor did the pillar of fire stop illuminating them, illuminating for them by night the path on which they should travel. You imparted your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths. You provided water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them. Even in the desert, they never lacked anything. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Yeah. We said it before, God does not throw us away. Amen. He does not throw away his people. We get to gain confidence from the fact that he does not throw away his chosen people. We get to rely on that. We get to see that through the word and actually have hope and confidence. He continues in his great character, his compassion and mercy to love them and provide for them time after time because of his patience. Their mistakes that they made, their failures to walk away. And yet every time they came back and they cried out to him, he heard them and he came to their rescue. He gave them relief. This is a, this reminds me a lot of, of me, uh, my testimony of uh, my experience with the Lord from the very beginning to now. The ups and downs, the trials and, and the triumphs of things. Um, it, was a, it was a small building in Crystal Lake, very small building, youth building, where I met my greatest two loves. First being my wife and the Lord. And walking into that building that day, the Lord had no reason to open my eyes. I had nothing good to offer. I had nothing. And yet he did. Amen. He opened my eyes to know him. And then every moment after that, the continuation of knowing him, him helping me, perfecting me, and transforming me. Loving him. I remember having my Bible at, in the cafeteria in high school and people being so upset about that. It just irked them. Didn't even realize what Psalm 2 said at that point. That desire, though, was there all the time. Speaking to him in the middle of class, just wanting to be with him. And then somewhere along the way, other things start to vie for my attention. I begin to look at athletics more importantly. I begin to look at working out more importantly. And it's a cycle that over time, that continue to keep happening. But every time, every time when I get off of those things and I put my eyes back on the Lord, yeah. he is right there. He did not throw me away. Repenting from it, crying back out to him, and he is so good to us to bring us back to that position. The intimacy that we get to have, we get to be invited back into it. We're not thrown away. He is so good to us. You know, every time that I've reached out to God, every time I've really pressed in and experienced him, he said the same thing to me too, that he doesn't want to throw me away. Don't we all know that? 
Don't we, haven't we all, has anybody ever experienced God truly in the secret place and he's told you, son, I'm going to throw you away? Nope. <laughs> then why when we're feeling like that we don't pursue him? The answer is to pursue him and have him speak to you because he will always speak when you're drawing near to him that he will not throw you away. The fact that we can actually believe that he will throw us away means that we've dist- there's some distance between ourselves and him. And we've separated ourselves from the word of God because of it and from our prayer lives. I love Isaiah 45.3. Despite its context, there's a message that God is relaying to a man that he is calling. Isaiah 45.3 says, I will give you treasures of darkness, riches stored in the secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. It is in the secret places that you truly find riches with God. It is in that time when you've quieted your soul. It is in that time when you have dedicated yourself to nothing else in this moment. This is my secret place with the Lord. I am going after the treasure that He has for me. That you truly find the riches. What happens when we don't do that, where there should be riches, we start to find trash in the secret places. When we do not seek after the Lord in the secret places of our lives, the moments where nobody's watching, we start to find trash and sin show up in the secret places. When what God wants for us is to find riches in the secret places. You better believe that God has an abundance of a storehouse. He has an abundance of a treasure. And it is there all times for you to gain. It is always available to you to get treasure in the secret places. The only thing that stops us is our unwillingness to try. Our li- the lie that we believe that it's not going to work out or it's not going to actually happen if I open my Bible. Or if I just start praying in the Spirit. That is not true. God has treasures hidden for us in the secret places. John 16, verse 12 through 15 says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why the Spirit, I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Church, grasp that. The Spirit will guide you into all truth in your secret time with Him. He will take the glory that belongs to the Son and make it known to you. Have we had enough glory? Have we had enough of what belongs to the Father? But He has made it available to us at all times. Say everything. Everything Everything that belongs to the Father. The Spirit has given it to the Son and will make it known to you. You have every resource at your disposal Everything in the treasure trove of God's house, you have it. All you have to do is seek it and desire it and want it. All you have to do is let that fire rise up inside of you and says, I got a million things going on right now, but oh man, I want 
God, I want just five minutes with the Lord. God, I just want to experience your presence. I just want a treasure from you. How do you think that you can be like a man who is trained in the law and, you, and, and trained in the kingdom and have treasures of old and treasures of new to bring out? How will you have that? It's from getting with him, spending time with him in his word, mining those treasures and asking him to seek you with a heart that says, I will not stop until I get it. I know it's there. I am not leaving this moment until I get the treasure I am looking for. So many times we stop short just because we don't have the persistence. I stop short. What will fix that is a hunger that goes past those things and says, I want to be guided into all truth right now. Truth about me, truth about my situation, and truth about your character and who you are. I want it like there's a fire in me that I cannot let go of. Get alone with the Lord. No matter how difficult it takes, no matter how many, much repenting and confession you have to make, get alone with the Lord and do not stop until he has guided you in truth and given you the treasure that's in the storehouse. It is truly beautiful. And I, I've had those moments where, where I'm reading the word and I'm like, why don't I do this more? <laughs> you can have it every time. Let's go to John 17, 3. says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This makes things very, very clear. Simplicity, clarity is a very good thing. Everything outside of this is exactly that it's outside of it. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is a call to revive and reinvigorate the intimacy and the desire for the Lord. For him. The one who called you. The one who speaks to you. The one who wants you. That reflection to want that back. To want him back. Meditating praying, praising him for his attributes, his good character, your experience with him. Throw away the competitors that are trying to rob you of this intimacy with the Lord. Make a choice. Throw them away. Let's get back to what is important. Let's get back to what is eternal life. We have three scriptures left, and we hope you guys are inspired by just these scriptures. But notice, like when I read that verse, this is eternal life that they may know you. There's still some part of us, we, we know that the heaven thing is not true. That we're all just trying to work for a heaven that's going to come after we die. We know that's true, but there's still a part of us that thinks eternal life begins after we die. And what the scripture plainly says is that eternal life is available now. Yeah. And it comes through knowing him. Look, Luke 7, 45 through 47. This is just a scripture that, that 
blessed our socks off. Uh, I think JJ shared this. JJ shared this in his 12-man message. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. You know that eternal life is to know him. All of us in this room would say, yeah, I know God. I know Jesus. How well have you known him this week? How well have you known him today? You see, when you press in to know him every single day, you will know that he is the God that has forgiven your sins. You will know that he is the Lord that has washed over your soul because you are searching the word, you are entering into your prayer time, and you know his character, and he is speaking to you, and he is giving you the revelation, son, I have washed your heart. He spoke to me many times where I was desperate. I've had the affirmation of the pastors, but he has spoken to me and said, son, I forgive you. Son, I have forgiven you of your sins. You know what that causes to rise up in me? It causes a greater love for his presence, and it causes me to want to press into him more, knowing that he has forgiven me. Lord, as bad as I am, you wash me of this? As bad as I am, you forgive me and you allow me to try again? That makes me want to press in more to his presence. Let's go to Revelation 22. Verse 4. We're going to start seeing where this intimacy comes in, what the the aim of this is. It says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Think about that. There's no, there's no moon. There's no night. His presence with them, that is the light that they get to be with. Eternity is with our king. It's intimacy with him. We don't have to wait until then. And we shouldn't. Amen. If we're going to spend eternity with him, we should, we should probably enjoy it now. Because if we're not, If we're not, we won't enjoy it then. Getting into his presence now and basking in his light now, his radiance, let's get to action with that. Let's get to rise up in it. It's joyful that we get to be with our king and to experience him through prayer, through his word. Through an intimacy that we get to experience. Real life experience. As we come to our last scripture. We want to read this to you because this has been quoted a lot. I have misread it. I have misunderstood it. We want to turn to Philippians 3, 7 through 14. This is Paul speaking. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
I have trouble understanding that, and verse 8 helps me. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul is pitting everything else as a competitor and a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying that everything else really can be a distraction and can become a loss compared to just knowing him. Busyness is a loss when compared to knowing him. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. What does it mean to gain Christ? What does it mean to gain Him? It means that whatever situation, whatever day, wherever you're at, you are gaining a perspective on Him. You are gaining His presence. You are gaining anything and everything of Him. He is saying that I am so willing and I want Him so bad that everything else is not even on the list. It's a loss. It causes negative gain. Compared so that I may gain Christ. It's a daily pursuit. It's a monthly pursuit. It is a yearly pursuit. It's a lifelong pursuit to gain Christ. To gain Him, church. And be found in Him. Oh. To be found in Him. God. You ever hear somebody say, oh, man, she is so wrapped up in Him. Talking about a guy and a girl relationship or something. She's so wrapped up in that. What does it mean to be so wrapped up in the Lord? So you can't stop thinking about Him. You can't stop praising Him. You can't stop thinking about the next time that you're going to get to spend time with the Lord. How many days go by where we're we're really not thinking about, I want to be found in Him. You're You're just existing. You're just moving on with life. To be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. Not having anything of myself that I can offer or, or prove myself by. But that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God. And is by faith. I want to know Christ. Do you think Paul didn't know Christ up to this point? This is, the la- this is one of the last moments in his life. In Philippians. At the very close to the end of his life. Do you think he didn't know him? Do you think he didn't experience him, but he's expressing this desire as an old man saying, I want to know Christ more. I want to know him more. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. I want everything that is his, and I want more of it. And so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen to this next phrase. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on. I press on. Usually when I stop there, I think, man, Paul's pressing on to reach a goal. He's pressing on to reach an achievement in the kingdom. He's pressing on to reach a new stage of ministry. No. He's saying, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Why did Christ Jesus take hold of him? So that he may know him. So that he may know him. Paul's saying, I press on to know him. I press in just so I can know him. I press on to, to know him. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Has Jesus taken hold of anybody, anybody in this room? Oh, when you know he has taken hold of you, you want to you reach out and take hold of him. When you know that he is grabbing you and he is taking a hold of you in the secret places, when you get into the word and know that he is taking a hold of you, when you pray to him and he is reaching a hold of you, you want to take hold of him with everything that you have. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. That prize is to know him. Look, our one singular landing point tonight, our one singular landing point is for you to have a desire and an intimacy with the Lord. For you to have that passion stir up. For you to realize, yeah, we've wasted time. We've laid a little bit of our love in the dust. We need to pick it back up again and gain that fire. That'll cause you to get into your word and seek him. That'll cause you to pray and seek him. As you guys stand up, know that we're not aiming at everything to be done at this altar. What we are aiming for is that the next 20 years, you have a fire inside of you to know him better and you press on to know him better. This means that what you do outside of this room is more important. The practices that you put in your life as you leave are more important. The fire you have in your heart in the days to come is the most important thing to take away from this message. Mighty God, we thank you. Lord, you are such a wonderful king. Lord, forgive us. Lord, for treating you as common as if pursuing you is not wonderful. Lord, forgive us for the competitors in our, in our lives. Lord, forgive us for our desires that are not in accordance with our professed love for you. Lord, let our love for you show up in our actions and our deeds in the secret places as we actually seek your face and seek you, mighty God. Lord, help us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.